and welcome to the Event Safety Podcast. I'm Danielle Hernandez. I'm Steve Edelman. And today, guys, we're going to talk about reopening New York. Reopening New York. That that had been a fairly straightforward conversation, we thought, when we planned this a few weeks ago. And, well, and it's now. not anymore. <laughs> yes, how the plans have changed. So... We are very fortunate to have two smart friends with us from different parts of New York. New York is a big state in case you lack a map or a basic sense of geography. It's not just New York City. And so from New York City, we have our friend Christine Jones from Lincoln Center for the Performing Arts. And Christine is going to give us the downstate perspective. And from upstate New York, we have Erica Fee, the founding festival producer of the Rochester Fringe Festival. Rochester is in upstate New York. And these are very different places. Nonetheless, they are subject to the rules of New York State, as well as Christine at Lincoln Center being subject to further guidance and regulatory schemes from New York City. So when we we came up with the idea for this podcast a few weeks ago, New York was still tethered not just to CDC guidance, but actually was slower than CDC. And we were going to record this podcast a week ago, and we decided not to because at that point, um, Governor Cuomo of New York was actually scheduled to give a press conference during our recording time, and we all wanted to know what he was going to say. And what he said followed CDC having dramatically turned the tables on all of us. So All of us. All over all the of country. Us. Like, whoa. Now yeah, we're doing d- something completely different. Well, and, and I will perhaps throw in a reference to the safe in sound guidance that the Event Safety Alliance and our good friends at NEVA um, created. And we released a day before CDC turned the tables on all of us. So it has been kind of a whiplash week. And so let's talk about reopening New York now, now, with the current as of what's today? Today is Wednesday, May 19th. May, May 19th, as we record this. So, what we're going to give you is a snapshot of Wednesday, May 19th. And whenever you listen to this, oh, who knows what the guidance is going to be? But we're going to talk about what's true today to the extent that we understand it and what implications that will have for reopening the arts and other related entertainment venues within the state of New York, which in many respects is going to provide guidance for the rest of us throughout the United States. So I think that this is an important conversation and doubtless will be interesting. So get your coffee. Let's uh, let's chat. Um, so the first question is, how ambitious are your projects this season? What do you got in the books? What, what are you going to do? Um, Christina, I know that you're teed up and ready to go about this. So oh, I am. <laughs> tell us stuff. Tell us happy things from Lincoln Center. Sure. So our our 
project that we're working on right now, spring, summer, and fall is restart stages, which is really taking advantage of all of our outdoor space. So we're very fortunate to have a large outdoor campus. Um, we had a soft opening back in April 7th, uh, and then our grand opening just last week. Um, so that was exciting, May 10th. Um, we opened up two larger stages uh, and also um, some pop-up performances in our, the rest of our public areas. So we're partnering with our constituents, with other community partners. We're doing blood drives and food banks, um, all sorts of stuff all over the place. So we're, we're keeping really busy right now. I've seen what's, some beautiful pictures from social media from your stuff. <laughs> what sort of reception are you getting? How are people reacting? Uh, I could. I know that demand for tickets far exceeds the capacity that we have. Obviously, we're working under capacity restrictions. Um, you know, timed entry, assigned seating, that kind of stuff. So people are very excited to get back to Lincoln Center and see live performance. And the artists are really beyond thrilled um, to be performing, which is great. So good news from downstate. Um, let's go upstate. Erica Fee. What's in the books for Rochester? Well, uh, kind of wait five minutes and it changes. But um, given the new news this week, when we say when, we, when you ask how ambitious are our projects, they're becoming more ambitious. Uh, we typically have our festival in September, so we have a, about five more minutes to pivot here, which we're going to be pivoting as quickly as as humanly possible. Um, but of course, it's tricky. You know, there are other considerations beyond the opening guidelines that we need to take into consideration, including staff shortages, the fact that we are a festival, so we haven't had an in-person festival in two years. We have to retrain and train. Um, so we're becoming more ambitious. We are planning some uh, outdoor shows. Uh, we are planning now uh, perhaps to rent a tent that we've uh, rented in the past, which is more than a tent. It's actually a Spiegel tent. Um, and, you know, we're, we're trying to do what we can do now. So, Erica, you and I have talked offline about how the Rochester Fringe Festival has many different types of venues. It's a week and a half long festival throughout the city of Rochester and, you know, super cool event. Uh, so there's a plug for you podcast listeners. Go up to Rochester for the Rochester Fringe Festival. Um, Erica, my question is, since since CDC's announcement last week that essentially indoor and outdoor spaces are equally viable and safe for vaccinated people, have any of your more reluctant venue partners suggested that they might be, well, less reluctant to participate in the Rochester Fringe Festival this year? Or is that short too answer? Soon? The short answer, no. Um, we do have some major venues that are still remaining closed through 2021, which uh, we've tried, as you know, Steve, <laughs> every way possible to try to get them to reopen. But it's looking it's not looking very hopeful that they're going to be reopening this year. Christine, have you seen any similar, you know, variations in people's willingness to participate in events um, at Lincoln Center? Or, you know, it sounded like there was, you know, fairly uniform enthusiasm. I mean, I think... Uh our big benefit is that everything that we're currently doing for restart, you know, has been outdoors. So um, I think there's a lot 
that people are a lot more comfortable with the idea of going, whether it be um, constituent organizations or audiences that are coming as well. But obviously, we are also looking towards the fall, working with vendors to sort of evaluate uh, our indoor conditions so that we can be ready when people are ready to move inside at Lincoln Center. So I'm just curious, it sounds like both of you are basically looking at mostly music type events right now. Um, Not us, no. Um, we no, we are a multidisciplinary festival, so we have everything from comedy to theater. We have music, but dance, um, shows that can't even be categorized, uh, children's other. entertainment as well. Yeah, <laughs> other. Uh, it doesn't sound very sexy, but yes, it is other. Um, yeah, so we have a whole range. And I have to say, though, is that we're, we are also seeing different mindsets from different disciplines. So theater has been really, really cautious. Dance has been less cautious. Music is right back at it. Um, <laughs> so it's like a totally different uh, conversation based on uh, which discipline you're, you're talking to. Yeah, I, I have personally noticed that as well. We're doing... A lot of music, obviously. Um, we have our internal programming as well as constituent organizations. We do have some dance slated. We've got School of American Ballet, um, New York City Ballet, for instance, that we've got plans for. You know, we're talking about potential film, um, even an opera that that's coming up. So there's some variation there in the the live performing arts that we'll be having on our stage. I will say, though, one more thing is that um, something that I found in the last couple of days is that, you know, Steve, as you know, I've been literally trying everything from webinars to, you know, sending sending your guidelines out to people to, you know, cajoling to almost bribing at one point last night, literally bribing, um, saying, well, what if, if we paid you, what would that look like um, to reopen? So I've been going off the full spectrum. But one thing that I have found is that, it seems that um, certain parts of the performing arts sector, for various reasons, a you know financial um, hardship, um, actually sheer depression, um, you know, kind of not believing guidelines, um, and you know, for so many different reasons, it's like some weren't aware that they would be, they would reopen or that this was coming. And so when the CDC did release the guidelines, which I was not totally surprised by, because as you know, COVID is my hobby. Um, but even, even I was a little taken aback, but perhaps not as taken aback as others. I have found that some organizations have just been absolutely shocked to the core and are really now scrambling. So I wouldn't be surprised if maybe within the next week there are uh, big changes for some of those venues and, and performing arts organizations. Christine, are you seeing anything similar? Yeah, I mean, I think everyone was excited with the idea. You know, when we said we're going to build stages, hey, partners, do you want to do stuff with us? Everyone wanted to do something and no one kind of knew what they wanted to do yet. But, you know, it's been directive on our end to say, let's plan for this. And as soon as we are allowed to do things, like we want to have a plan on what stage are we building? How are we going to do it safely? You know, we had drafted safety protocols before any of the New York State stuff came out um, so that we could hit the ground running when decisions were made. So I think that's why we were able to kind of get up and running pretty quickly and, um, you know, starting to see a lot of interest from others um, 
who want to take advantage of the space that we've built. In, in our world, we have a number of different stakeholders and we have to speak to them differently and, and at different levels of detail. And, you know, obviously you guys speak to different people given your job functions. So, Christine, let me stay with you. Since you're on the technical production side at Lincoln Center, how are you talking to your peers, your back of house peers about about health and safety so that they feel comfortable going back to work? Yeah, in terms of sort of staff and crew, I think people were very excited to come back to work for obvious reasons. Um, For many of them, they hadn't done that in a while. So, you know, when they came on site and we were able to say, here's our protocol, you know, talking with the union BAs, these are our plans. We want you to make sure you're distancing. We had all the PPA, we had COVID compliance officers. We said, you know, we're going to try and stagger departments. We're going to build more time into load-in so that we can maintain distancing and not have people on top of each other. I think, um, you know, people were glad to see that steps were being taken to make sure that we were being safe from that the COVID side uh, than we were typically. And then, um, and also people would offer things. Hey, I worked at this other venue. Do you want to try and implement this? And I think that at least the people that I've worked with, it's been a great conversation. You know, a lot of people talking about protocols and improvements that we can make. So that's been really positive. Erica, you're primarily, well, I should ask this because I don't actually know. Are you speaking primarily to people who are, essentially prospective partners within the production of Rochester Fringe Festival, or are you also dealing with back of house folks? Right. Is there anyone you don't talk to? (laughs) Uh, I don't know about that, Um, but we are a bifurcated festival. So we have both venues that produce their own shows for the Fringe. And then we also have these shows that we ourselves curate. And I would say that the one thing that I am hearing from at least the production um, folks that we have worked with has been the, the need and the desire to ensure that staff and performers and attendees are vaccinated. And that's the one thing that really has allayed a lot of concerns. And that is something that we're going to, as you know, um, implement. So Erica, do you have a vaccine requirement for people to work at the Rochester Fringe Festival? We are going to have a vaccine requirement. Absolutely. Um, We feel that it's it's the right thing to do on a variety of levels. Um, One, in terms of the New York State guidelines with distancing, it's something we have to do. So it's something that we, we have to do to protect our business, but also <laughs> it's a moral choice that our entire board feels that we really don't want to create a situation where anyone's unsafe. Um, and as one of our um, lawyers said on our board, you know what, if somebody has a trouble, has trouble with it, why don't they just go ahead and sue us? <laughs> See how that works out. Spoiler alert for web uh, podcast listeners. <laughs> It won't go well for someone filing a lawsuit based on some, you know, some, well, the legal term is wrong, uh, version of privacy. HIPAA does not relate to entertainment spaces. It arises only in the context of healthcare facilities. So Lincoln Center, 
Rochester Fringe Festival, not subject to HIPAA requirements. You can ask whether someone's vaccinated or not. The lawyer is saying that that's not legal advice, but I'm just saying it. And I am a lawyer (laughs) and I'm right. (laughs) So so you guys have identified a, a, a few challenges that you see. Um, what other ones are on your radar right now with the understanding that who knows what next week will throw at us? Uh, Christine, what do you, what have you pinged as something that you, you're going to watch out for? I think the biggest challenge that a lot of organizations are facing is financial. You know, um, there's a lot of additional steps. So there's additional communication, additional time, additional labor, staffing, testing, um, super expensive. So I think... Um, getting everyone to kind of plan appropriately to be able to do these events as, as safely as is um, reasonable and under the guidelines, you know, it, it's an added expense that needs to get accounted for. And also a, a ton of administrative time and communication, um, working with changing protocols, talking to each client individually, uh, evaluating their specific performance, right? Because, you know, people want to say, what exactly is the capacity? What exactly do I have to do? And I say, well, what are you doing? Are you playing a flute or is it a masked quartet? You know, um, everything has to get an additional layer of advancing um, that just takes, takes some time. Takes time. Yeah. And, and right now with reduced capacities, that's going to affect profit loss and ticket prices. Erica, what about you? Well, yes. I mean, financially, that is a huge concern. And I think the other thing is um, an excitement as well to reopen and, you know, people say, oh, we just want it to go back to 2019. Like, uh, we've got to look at the finances. <laughs> I'm not sure we can do that. And also, you know, it's it's um, it's not just money. It's also time. And like the amount mm-hmm. of time that has already been spent, um, both actual time and I think mental time and stress that have been expended on not knowing the protocols, when will they be changing? Oh my gosh, we've got to change our protocols again. Wait five minutes, you're going to change them again. Um, (laughs) And the frustration and tension that uh, remote work, first of all, causes, but remote work with changing guidelines and and benchmarks and everything, um, that has been a real stress. Yeah. Listeners, what you can't tell is that every single person on this call is nodding with great agreement at everything she just said we're like bobbleheads right now you know all of us are going yes time stress another meeting let's well, think so, about it again so so here's a question i mean let, let's you know put this at a moment in time which i suppose will date this podcast but whatever um so last week cdc you know turned the tables on all of us and you know, made a declaration that Erica, I guess you're clairvoyant, but I sure as hell wasn't expecting, which essentially is for people who are vaccinated, you know, go about your life. It is 2019. Um, and then, you know, Governor Cuomo in New York said, we're following CDC guidance. And that was a first also. So what has changed for you guys at, at Lincoln Center and at Rochester Fringe Festival? What has changed for you in the last week, if anything? 
Well, we, we have plans to be changing. As you can imagine, there's like the daily Zoom grind of uh, getting together and talking about this ad nauseum. Um, but our plan for our public areas, putting performance venues aside, is to welcome fully vaccinated guests to remove their masks in our public spaces. So that will be different because obviously there are still protocols in place for performances, for guests that are attending a food and beverage event or a seated performance um, so it's going to be a big thing about communication and making sure everyone understands the different layers. So you you can't see this podcast listeners, but I'm holding up my phone right now at Lincoln Center. Are you guys taking advantage of New York's Excelsior pass system? Uh, so currently um, under the gathering limit, which is 500, that guests don't have to show proof of vaccination or test to access um, a venue as of today. But um, for our back of house spaces where we are doing that, we will accept the Excelsior Pass. It's super easy. You just download the scanner app. You can scan their code and get that verified result. We're also accepting the paper card. So are you eventually thinking that there are going to be sections for people who are vaccinated and then separate sections for people who are not vaccinated and they have different rules that they have to follow? I know that's definitely a conversation. Obviously, we're seeing like MSG and other places that have talked about having that. It's certainly something we're discussing, but not something that we're implementing at the moment. And Erica, how about you? In We're Rochester. going for all vaccinated, all vaccinated. That made our lives a lot easier and um, and we feel a lot safer. Everybody feels safer. So because we are going with fully vaccinated, we will not have any distancing. We will not have any gathering limits. Uh, luckily, the state, uh, we, we are kind of caught between two sets of rules. There's the rules for the performing arts and then there's also rules for festivals. And at one point, rules for performing arts had changed, but then we were informed by the city of Rochester that, oh, yes, but you're also under the festivals. Oh, my gosh. But luckily, they changed both of them. And now festivals in New York State can also have um, normal capacity if they can verif- verify that guests are vaccinated. Because the other choice for a festival is to maintain six foot distance between all attendees. And I don't know how you do that at a festival. So it's actually a lot easier for us to uh, to ensure that everyone is vaccinated. And yes, we will use the Excelsior Pass. Um, we'll also use, you know, just the normal CDC um, paper cards. And yes, that will increase uh, the amount of staff that we'll need to have or volunteers because clearly we're going to have to have one line for people with the Excelsior Pass and one line for people with the CDC cards. But we think that ultimately it's just going to be a, a lot easier to do that. And thank God other venues are doing it because we have been talking about the Excelsior Pass since it came out. I have been on the news here locally um, ad nauseum because I guess we were like the only organization talking about using it. But now um, many organizations, including a lot of sports, are going to be using it. So that, that's, that makes communication for us with the public a lot easier. Are either of you guys hearing or experiencing personally any pushback on on you know your venues or other venues 
requiring Excelsior pass? Because in other states, we don't have something like that. You know, Danielle just put in the notes, you know, I wish South Carolina had that. I'm in Arizona. We got nothing like that either. It's actually illegal. They passed a law to say that we would not have anything like a vaccine passport. So it's it's a law that we cannot use something like that. So, you know, listeners, uh, keep in mind your your local authority having jurisdiction may play into your planning and that aspect of your events. Yeah. So if you're thinking of relocating from one state to another, keep this conversation in mind. (laughs) But seriously, I mean, are you guys I mean, are you aware of of any significant amount of pushback? I have heard push pushback. I haven't heard pushback in regard to our festival yet. And thank goodness we are in September. Um, we're not the first out of the gate. I have heard pushback, but I'm I'm hearing that less and less. Um, Rochester has a AAA uh, baseball team, the Rochester Red Wings. And they opened last night and to a packed stadium. Um, they did have vaccinated only sections that were up. Uh, sorry, vaccinated only section was basically the entire uh, stadium. They had unvaccinated only sections which were right at the end. Really horrible seats. Um, but people were very happy to show their vaccination status, which if you'd asked me this two or three weeks ago, I would have told you, no, that wouldn't have happened, but uh, they did it. Yeah. And I think, um, You know, regarding the Excelsior Pass, I don't think anyone has issues with that. Obviously, when we first started talking to it, there's the question about accessibility. You know, not everyone has a smartphone. Not everyone has a computer and a printer. You know, how do we make sure that we're accommodating to other people? So we do accept that card. I think the Excelsior Pass only links with certain labs, mostly ones that are in New York. So if it's a visitor from out of state, how do we accommodate them? Um, There are other tech solutions that are looking, you know, nationally to partner. I don't, I, I know they weren't quite there when we were having conversations with them, but I expect that there will be other, you know, national solutions in the future. Yeah, I do think that that national and international vaccine passport issue is going to be huge. I mean, one thing that the Excelsior Pass is talking about, um, because I had a a webinar, which Steve uh, uh, was the keynote speaker on, um, where we had the actual developer of the Excelsior Pass on. And Basically, what they said is they're starting off with New York, but they're going to be rolling it out to other states, uh, including their data. So including New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Vermont. But also they were talking about what do we do about areas like Buffalo, for instance, that have and in fact, Rochester, that have so many um, audience members coming over from Canada. And can they pull in Canada's vaccination details? That will be a huge challenge, but it's that is going to be something that's going to be necessary for those border cities. Uh, or I also think the other way is true as well. Um, Niagara-on-the-Lake, of course, the Shaw Festival, they're going to want to make sure that their New York visitors are vaccinated. Podcast listeners, we are, Danielle and, uh, Hernandez and I are having a conversation with two of our smart friends from New York. Uh, you are hearing from Erica Fee from the Rochester Fringe Festival and Christine Jones from Lincoln Center down in New York City. And, well, we're talking about reopening New York because they're doing it and they're doing it in conjunction with CDC and taking baby steps so that they can only do it once and, you know, get it done well. Um, Let's talk about messaging. Is there any particular messaging that you are either using or seeing from other people that you think is particularly effective 
at getting people to do what's necessary so that you can reopen at fuller capacity, more like pre-pandemic conditions? Um, yes, I am seeing uh, some good messaging coming out of organizations. Um, in, in fact, a lot of the sports organizations are doing a really fantastic job, I think. Um, it, what seems to be really intriguing is when they are communicating it on social media, but they're communicating it with a sense of humor and really driving home the point that you really need to be vaccinated for your safety, but also we're not messing around. Um, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about this. And so I'm, I'm seeing that, but I'm also seeing really specific details being sent to people. Um, you know, so often in the past pre-pandemic, someone would receive a, uh, a ticket and Gosh, would they even read any of the details that were sent with the ticket? Who knows? But now what I'm understanding is from, from other organizations that people really want very specific information, but on websites, on, uh, communicated through social media, communicated through the press, and then also printed on the tip, ticket. So I don't know if that's ever, in fact, going to go away. If people get used to really specific messaging, here's, here's where you park. This is what happens when you, when you walk in. Um, there was a really great video that was done by the Crane Theater in terms of the audience experience. What will it look like when you walk into our theater right now? So, yeah, there. So, I think the more specific, the better. That would be a fantastic legacy of the pandemic. <laughs> People reading. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I know our communication going out with ticketing has to be quite specific because we have timed entry now so that we don't have everyone trying to get there at the same place at the same time. Um, so, you know, there's the ticketing, there's the email, there's the website, there's when you get on site, there's signage, so much signage. Um, so a lot of communication from our guest experience team. I, I'm reminded of one time I was flying through McCarran Airport in Las Vegas and I was at the TSA check-in area and there was a video because they have video monitors at McCarran and there was a video of Blue Man Group basically goofing around on the baggage carousels, you know, climbing onto the conveyor belt and doing all sorts of funny things. And then, you know, the other two blue men say, no, no, don't get, you know, not say, but they weren't you know, saying it. Yeah. They weren't saying it because they don't break character. Um, but they were, you know, demonstrating don't get on the, the carousel. And it was hilarious. And so what I'm wondering is we are an industry full of creative people with decent senses of humor. How good are we going to get at messaging things to, you know, convey to people who may be reluctant for one reason or another, it's okay to come out and play again. You know, Christine, you know, I'm thrilled that people want to, that, that Lincoln Center is actually having demand exceed supply. You know, that was really the answer I was hoping for. But what I'm also hoping is that we have kind of a, a flourishing of creative messaging so that we can carry along our partners, our friends and our peers in the industry, because there's some cultural education that has to go on here. So that's really why I was asking about messaging. And it's not just for each of our individual organizations. I guess my 
point to podcast listeners, if you have good messaging, messaging that is effective, I guess that's the definition of good now, messaging that seems to be working, share it with us um, because we want to share lessons that are working with our other smart friends. You know, we have an investment in all of us getting back to work so that we can all get back to playing at work. Yeah, we're kind of in this together. Okay. Yeah. There's a term that, unlike pivoting, which I hate, there's a term <laughs> we're all in this together that I actually like because it's true. All right. So, next question. And this is one that's near and dear to my heart, given what I do every day. You know, basically mostly dark for a year. What technical things are you discovering? Are you working through? Have you realized that it takes so much longer to patch something? because you haven't you have don't have that muscle memory anymore for the light board uh christine <laughs> what, what you got well it, it's interesting because each of these venues that we've done outdoors we've built from scratch right so it's not like we were walking into an existing building that had a rigging system that you know um has been sitting for a while so um, all of the stuff was working with our vendors who had to go into their warehouses and blow the layer of dust off and make sure, you know, everything was still there and accounted for and functioning. Um, but definitely, you know, part of that toolbox talk on that first day of load-in was like, hey, we're outside, drink water, distance, sunscreen if you need it, take your time, don't try and pick up the sheet applied by yourself. You haven't done that in a year. You know, um, I think it's just giving everyone the space to say, okay, we're going to come back to work. We're going to watch out for each other. Um, and I think everyone was really eager to do that, you know, to, to give each other breaks and realize that that, that muscle memory wasn't there. Yeah. It, it's been fun figuring out what we all remembered and what we haven't. Um, it's also been great just to see everybody again. Erica, what have you discovered so far in your planning? Well, I have to say, I mean, that is one area of concern that I, I wake up now regularly in the middle of the night thinking about and worrying about because when you have a festival, it's it's different from a year-round um, organization. Uh, well, we're a year-round organization, but it's different from a, a year-round performing arts space. So for us, it's really that we would have been closed for two years. And one other thing that of course, it's happened with so many performing arts organizations is that we've had huge staff turnover because, you know, we had to lay people off. We couldn't rehire people last year uh, for an in-person festival. Um, a lot of people have left the industry, so they're just, their knowledge is gone. Um, that is something that partnered with the fact that there are huge staffing concerns now just across the board for everyone. That's something that's a real worry. I'm hoping that by September that some of that may have uh, sorted itself out, but man, it's, um, that's, yeah. it's tricky. Yeah. We've definitely lost some institutional knowledge and not buildings, but historical, how things work, how things go together because a lot of those people have, pivoted, sorry, Steve, yeah. to something else. Uh, <laughs> Steve's favorite word. Um, yeah. And, and that's industry wide. Uh, and it's, I'm hoping that some of them as they see stuff, they're like, you know, I really miss, I really miss that. And they come back, but I feel like we're going to get to train a, a new group 
um, put them back, put new people into those positions. I, th I think sports people call it like a, a growing season or something. Growth. Steve, help me out here. I'm not good at sports. What is it when the team needs to rebuild? Uh, they rebuild. <laughs> okay. I thought there was a growth something. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Jacob's going to leave this in. It's going to be <laughs> awkward, but it's all on me. It's fine. I never claimed to know sports. <laughs> so this is a, we're going to start with you, Erica. How excited are people about the French Festival coming back this year? Well, uh, we have have done a few kind of soft announcements and we have always um, made sure that people know that we're not canceling. But there have been so many upstate festivals that have canceled that I think that a lot of people right now assume that we are also canceling. So we are going to be doing an announcement <laughs> actually later this week to say, OK, you know, it's happening. And I think then people will be really, really excited. But, you know, the the amount of uh, festivals that canceled due to the fact that they had received no guidance um, and probably weren't talking to people like the Event Safety Alliance and figuring out ways to do it. What an outrageous been, thing. Has been vast. <laughs> it's been the majority, the vast majority of festivals upstate. So there's just a few of us standing. <laughs> Yeah, the Lilac Festival didn't happen this year. I, I believe it did happen, but just happened in a different, different way. Dur different Fully way. ticketed, and and then a bunch of other big festivals, the Rochester Jazz Festival, massive festival that's canceled, um, and and many many others. What about you, Christine? I know you said that right now you have more patrons than tickets, but what what about everybody else? Everybody else super happy? Yeah, or I think <laughs> everyone's. No, I think everyone's pretty excited. I mean. People, you know, we're not quite back to normal yet, but people want to get back to normal and they want to come and see a live performance. So I think, um, you know, it's just our obligation to build them a venue that's as safe as possible and to, to get the artists back to work, to get the labor back to work um, and to get New Yorkers seeing shows again. So, yeah, everyone's pretty thrilled. I think we're announcing our our upcoming, like on a monthly basis, I think we're releasing events and it's all on the website. So direct people in that direction. One thing I would add though, is that I've also heard fear too. So while there are many very excited people, there are also many people who feel that the CDC guidelines were far too swift. And I'm hearing like a lot of fear about about that so i'm hoping that that works its way out of the system by september and that there was nothing to actually be, uh, be fearful about but um a lot of people are, are really really scared about the idea about going back into venues so is that across the board is it your performance is it your audience is it your crew because i know i've had some crew that have been reluctant to come back because they yeah, I've heard it across the board, and I've heard it also from people that I wouldn't normally expect. Um, sometimes that's come out in some of our surveys, and um, but even board members who were you know very excited about planning and getting back at it are, are kind of now saying, "Is this the right thing to do? Should we be you know, performing anywhere that's indoors? Should we still require that vaccinated people wear masks?" Um, there, there are some concerns, and I think that that would just simply work its way out. But uh, the yeah. CDC guidelines, you know, it should not be uh, glossed over that they took most people 
by surprise. Yeah. And, you know, the fact that in New York today, the supermarkets are all, you know, reopening, no masking. And, and you know, Dr. Fauci just came out and said, whoa, 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 whoa. some of you are taking the no masking thing the wrong way. It meant for vaccinated people not to wear masks. The unvaccinated people still have to wear masks. Like some of that is being lost. Yeah. And, and I think it's important to recognize that we all kind of gone through some trauma and the CDC thing came out really sort of sharply. Right. And, I saw and, someone. And, yeah, you're right. Totally. Yeah. I saw someone say on Twitter, could they have at least given us warning? I look horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there, there's actually, I mean, there's real substance behind that joke. Um, you know, for perspective, and here's a shout out to the, you know, the smart leadership of the Rochester Fringe Festival, the Event Safety Alliance worked for about six weeks with our friends from Neva on a document called Safe in Sound, which came out last week as we record this now on May 19. And we created that guidance in conjunction with CDC. We were in regular consultation with them. They don't bless guidance, but we were certainly talking to them and you know, made sure that our guidance conformed with what they were comfortable with us saying. And we released that on Wednesday, May 12, and thought that we were doing something really good to advance the cause of event professionals making hard decisions. And then the very next morning, CDC came out with its current guidance as of the day that we're recording this on May 19. And my initial thought was, we were talking to you. Could you not have given us a heads up? And, you know, <laughs> that's, you know, metaphorically. Right? <laughs> yeah. You know, I would have looked better. I would have dressed properly, you know, worked on my tan on my entire face. <laughs> yeah, all the people that have the tan lines right at your cheekbone. Right. You know, got, you know, acne where the, the face covering line was, you know, not if you're wearing an ESA face covering, but anyway. Um, and so, since this time last week, I have had conversations myself with several clients struggling to figure out what is the right thing to do now. And even in the last seven days, I've been invited to give presentations in person at indoor conferences. And I'm fully vaccinated. And so I am asking, what is your health and safety plan, even as I'm devising health and safety plans for clients? And what I realized when I drafted one for a client yesterday is ESA needs to come out with some guidance to help, and we're going to. So, you know, podcast listeners, our guidance. Scoop. <laughs> yes, yeah, scoop. You know, breaking news. Um the Event Safety Alliance is going to come out with some guidance with links to CDC and try to give some context so that you can speak to your constituents, your various stakeholders, and say, you know, if you are vaccinated, you have 95% efficacy coursing through your bloodstream. You can go unmasked, according to the scientists, not according to the lawyers or you know event professionals, but the right people, the scientists, 95% efficacy, which if you compare that to any previous vaccine is amazingly high. This is a miracle of science that we are experiencing in real time. So for people who are vaccinated, 
there is a great deal of comfort that you should have. And to the extent that you want to reach that last 5%, wear a face covering when you are around people whose vaccine status you don't know. That's you know, that's what I'm advising my own clients and how I'm living. I'm still wearing a face covering, you know, in my local supermarket because I'm in Arizona and I know there are vaccine hesitant people, even though if you know me and have gotten an email from me in the last week, you probably have seen my picture from my local Safeway supermarket in which they advertise outside the door free COVID-19 vaccines here next to a picture of a banana. So you have to pay for a banana, but you can get a free vaccine that will literally save your or someone else's life or both. So anyway. That's beautiful. It, it is beautiful. <laughs> you know, I don't mind paying 40 cents for a banana if I can get a free vaccine shot. Um, so I guess with that rant in mind, the one thing, perhaps the only thing that I'm certain about as far as reopening New York, and I will say this and then I will turn first to Christine and then to Erica, is the only thing that I'm certain about is we're, there's going to be change. There's going to be more change, but I'm pretty confident that yeah. the change will be good. It's tricky, but we're getting there. Yeah. Christine. Yeah, I mean, I think we're already steps beyond where we were months ago, where we were in the fall. You know, we're constantly, every organization is constantly evaluating what they're going to be doing, guidance from all the authorities having jurisdiction, keep rolling out, and we keep responding to them, you know, attempting to be like nimble and flexible and and work to get our audiences in. So I think we'll be seeing more of that through the summer into the fall and we'll just keep keep uh keeping up with all the guidance and and changing as needed in either direction right yeah and um i would say that i think there are probably certain changes that are not going to be reversed too i don't know that the performing arts will be fully shuttered again even if we have another spike amongst unvaccinated people, I don't know that everything will be shut down now. God forbid we have a variant that does is not um, covered by any of the vaccines. And yes, obviously all bets are off. But I think there are certain things that we can be assured of will we'll just uh, will improve and, and that that we won't um, totally um, go back to a full lockdown. All right. So now is my turn to do little bit of housekeeping. If you want to get in touch with us, send us an email at podcast at eventsafetyalliance.org. You can check out our website, eventsafetyalliance.org, or find us on social media under Event Safety Alliance. Buy a mask if you haven't had a chance to buy a mask. Or buy one, get one free still. Because um, as we said, there are some times you may still want one. Um, also, you know, it's a great way to show your support for the ESA as we try to support uh, everybody in the live event industry. I want to really thank Christine of the Lincoln Center and Erica of the Rochester Fr Fringe Festival. And uh, of course, Jacob, who does all of our editing and helps fix some of my oomphs. And of course, my fabulous co-host, Steve Edelman. And we'll talk to you soon, guys. Stay safe, everybody.